If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for May 11, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. The Trump-related news, as usual, you can get via the Individual One podcast, which I urge you to do particularly this week because the Individual One podcast, which you can find at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com, or via my Twitter handle, which is Zygmunt Freud, or the Twitter handle of the Individual One podcast, which is Individual, the number one pod, features a great interview with cable news veteran David Schuster. And one of the things about the David Schuster interview is that he blows the doors off of all elements of the news media, but he also gives a shout-out to our investigation of both the Penn State and the Michael Jackson cases, which I found to be quite fascinating, and you might as well. So if you, if you are so inclined, make sure you check out the Individual One podcast for that interview with uh, David Schuster. As has been the case for the last couple of months, lots to get to, but I want to start off with our investigation into the Leaving Neverland fake documentary about Michael Jackson, because there's some interesting news that has occurred this week on that front, and most of it is quite positive. I'm not used to dealing with positive news, especially in the realm of these types of stories. But uh, let me just review some of that. We'll get to other topics as well in this uh, abbreviated hour of the World According to Zig podcast. But I always talk about the importance of political cover. And it's not just within politics, but it's particularly important in stories uh, that are are of a controversial or a toxic nature. And one of the problems uh, with uh, my investigation of the so-called Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky cases, we could never get any political cover. (laughs) I've done nothing but take bullets, not just to my torso, but to my my brain. (laughs) Riddled. My body is riddled with bullets because I've gotten no political cover at all. However, uh, for many reasons, there has now been some political cover with regard to defending Michael Jackson and the Leaving Neverland allegations. I mentioned last week that the middle school that Jackson attended is voted to keep his name on the auditorium. And that's important because in the reverse, that would have taken away political cover. 
But whether it's a coincidence or not, a whole series of events have occurred surrounding that vote in favor of Michael Jackson. I want to start with the political cover with an event that didn't get very much attention even on Twitter among the enormous number of Michael Jackson fans who have been following this on an almost minute-by-minute basis. But to me, a key moment here, because this is all a string of events, this is all a domino effect, occurred a couple weeks ago when Boy George went on Watch What Happens Live on Bravo, which is hosted by Andy Cohen. My wife watches this show religiously, and it's a pretty funny show. And Boy George was on the program. For those who don't remember, Boy George was another 80s uh, pop music uh, star. And Boy George happens to be uh, you know, flamboyantly and openly gay. Andy Cohen is also gay. And I think that's relevant here because somehow, and I'm not even sure how this happened, but the subject of Leaving Neverland came up. And Boy George, without saying it, <laughs> made it very clear that he did not believe the allegations against Michael Jackson and leaving Neverland. He said it in a very politically correct fashion and, and uh, you know, in, in the way that was the safest uh, possible uh, way that he could do it. But it was very clear that he had great suspicions about whether or not the Leaving Neverland allegations were true. And Andy Cohen did not destroy him over this. Now, this was a key moment. Uh, You know, here you have a legitimate celebrity from the same basic era as Michael Jackson, obviously the same industry as Michael Jackson, who happens to be gay, telling another gay man, I'm not sure I'm buying this. And I, you know, basically going with the argument of this doesn't feel like it's been proven. And Michael Jackson, of course, isn't alive anymore to defend himself. So maybe we shouldn't be, you know, taking this so very, very seriously. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times that George and Cohen are both gay. Why does that matter? Well, the part of this that no one wants to acknowledge is that the heart of the allegations is gay sex. I mean, it's man-on-man sex. Now, it is a febophilia or pedophilia, depending on the age of the accuser, but the actual act is is male-on-male sex. And I have found an interesting phenomenon in both the so-called Penn State case and in uh, this Michael Jackson situation that Gay men, now whether it's because they feel more free to talk about it and they're less politically correct, or maybe it's a combination of that uh, freedom with regard to what they're allowed to say and not get criticized for it, as well as their own personal experiences, which are key here, I have found that, that gay men tend to be far more skeptical of these types of allegations. Now, there's a number of reasons why that might be, but you have to acknowledge that that's at least potentially relevant because they have experience with these actual acts, not necessarily acts with young boys, but they understand the plausibility of this type of action occurring, especially with, by the way, and this is really the number one thing that no one ever, especially in the media, ever wants to talk about, is that we're dealing with heterosexual boys in both the Penn State case and in the Michael Jackson case. James Savechuck and Wayne Robson are very heterosexual. There's no indication at all that they're gay. The number one thing with regard to the Catholic priest scandal that, again, people never want to talk about is that the vast majority of that abuse was gay priests preying on boys they perceived either were or were becoming gay. That's how they got away with it. 
Heterosexual boys have an exceedingly different reaction when told by a man, hey, do this, this, or this in a sexual realm. And uh, I realize that there's a difference between a big difference between an eight-year-old boy and a 14-year-old boy. But when you're 14 and you're heterosexual, without drugs, without alcohol, without payoffs, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. It certainly doesn't happen easily. And I don't care who you are. But so it's interesting to me that Boy George was one of the first people of, of the celebrity ilk to be willing to say on television, hey, uh, I'm not sure I buy this. Now, why is this relevant? Because then we have a, a series of domino effects. We have Harvey Levin of TMZ, who ordinarily would be somebody who would be calling bullshit on a story like this. The, the old Harvey Levin, in fact, did call bullshit on Wade Robson in 2013 when they covered the story for TMZ. Harvey Levin is a pretty smart guy. He's generally a cynic. He's a lawyer. But for some reason, whether it's because of Me Too or fear of being attacked or whether it's some corporate conflict of interest, Harvey Levin has been exceedingly pro leaving Neverland and very pro even Wade Robson and James Safechuck as if somehow over the six years, Wade Robson's allegations somehow got more credible. No, they got less credible because of the legal machinations involved and this and all the things that have been uncovered. So it makes no damn sense. But even Harvey Levin went on TMZ, and I was shocked to see this. Again, I was alerted by my wife. My wife watches all this crap. Uh, <laughs> whenever something she thinks I might find interesting, and she knows I'm now embroiled in the Michael Jackson Leaving Neverland saga, uh, she says, hey, have you, have you seen this, or what about this? And Harvey Levin said on, on uh, TMZ Live this week that, uh, you know, look, a lot of people thought that Michael Jackson was going to be canceled or muted after Leaving Neverland, but he acknowledged, quite to my surprise, that that has not happened. Now, maybe he was thinking partially because of, obviously, he's in Los Angeles, and I'm sure he knew about the fact that the, uh, the, the middle school had voted to keep Michael Jackson's name on the auditorium. He may have seen what Boy George said uh, on Andy Cohen's program. And then, after that, Madonna has the audacity to say that she has questions. Again, doing it much in the same way as Boy George, and it would not surprise me at all if Boy George provided the cover for Madonna. See, this is the way it works. You know, you got to have a foothold, and then one person says something and doesn't get destroyed, so then someone larger than that says, oh, I can also say the same thing and not get destroyed. So you've got Boy George leads to Harvey Levin, which maybe leads to Madonna saying, look, uh, you know, I got questions about this. This doesn't all make sense to me. And, of course, Madonna is a huge star, same era as Michael Jackson in the 80s. I mean, frankly, you know, I don't, what, what, radio stations that do 80s music, what would they be without Madonna or Michael Jackson? What, not Phil Collins? <laughs> what, I mean, basically, that's all that's left. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the, anyway, the, my point here is that Madonna being willing to raise questions about this is significant because now – we have total, not total, but we have significant coverage for any other celebrities that are going to ask, get asked about this in the future because Madonna hasn't been destroyed over this. And in fact, Madonna's comments led to the Fox affiliate in Washington, D.C., which is a fairly na major television station in a big market. They uh, have a talk show that I've never even heard of before. I'm amazed that they do this, but I've now seen the clips online where universally everybody on the show on two different 
versions of the show rip leaving neverland to shreds as much as you could do in the politically correct universe so that was the first time that on television in america someone has been willing and able to go on and say uh wait a minute uh, this feels like bullcrap uh we're not going to say that we're going to say all the polite things we need to to pretend that we're not uh, calling james safechuck and wade robson liars but the reality is that we're not going to buy Leaving Neverland. We're not going to cancel or mute or destroy uh, Michael Jackson, the dead man who cannot defend himself. So that's all very, very positive stuff. And then, and I've not been able to verify, I know I've seen it, so I know there's some truth to this, but I've not been able to verify the sourcing on this or why this is the case. But I have been amused by the fact that there has been a dramatic change in the way that HBO describes Leaving Neverland on their on-demand features. there You can find these on Twitter or online if you search it. But here's the evolution of how HBO has described Leaving Neverland on the on-demand. You know, you go on-demand or your DVR and you, you click on a particular program and there's a description of the program. Leaving Neverland, HBO's fake documentary about these allegations against Michael Jackson, was originally described as uh, the the stories of James Safechuck and Wade Robson who were abused by Michael Jackson. Clear cut, they were abused. Then it got amended to their alleged abuse. Now, whether that was out of a fear of a lawsuit or the lawsuit that's happening or whether they're trying to protect themselves or who knows why. I have no idea what the source of that is, who's making that call, how high up in the, in the corporate ladder that call is coming from. But it's an interesting change from abused to alleged abused. But then that's nothing compared to what it says currently because <laughs> the most recent version I saw was this is the story about... <laughs> how these boys spent time with Michael Jackson. So it's gone from abuse to alleged abuse to they were just spending time with Michael Jackson. Just spending time with him. I mean, that's funny. It's pathetic. And this is a serious matter. But uh, really? Spent time with. That's what we've come down to. Yeah, we, I, I will acknowledge that James Save Chuck and Wade Robson did spend some time with Michael Jackson. Why that's newsworthy, I don't know. Uh, and then uh, one other thing I want to mention here is that um, there's been some movement with regard to the Michael Jackson estate. I don't want to talk too much about this because a lot of it's not for sure yet. But I got contacted not once but twice this week by different elements of the Michael Jackson estate. One about an event uh, that may or may not happen here in June that they want me to be a part of in evaluating uh, leaving Neverland. I'm hopeful that that will occur. If it does, I'll certainly uh, make sure that everyone is well informed of that. Uh, But that sounds very interesting and very hopeful. And then this is really potentially quite interesting, although it may not happen. I am tentatively scheduled to have lunch this week with the uh, I don't know how I want to describe them. Uh, I would say the two largest figures 
within the the legal section of the Michael Jackson estate. They've asked me to come to have lunch with them, including uh, the name of one person who most people listening to this would certainly know who this person is. So we're tentatively scheduled to have lunch this week. If, in fact, that happens, or even if it doesn't, I'll let you know more details in the next edition of the World According to Zig podcast. So that is very interesting. I'm not even sure why they want to have lunch. They've been very complimentary of my work. Uh, but we'll see uh, what, in fact, happens if that lunch does uh, come to fruition. Uh, several other things have happened this week that I want to at least briefly mention uh, that have nothing to do necessarily with uh, leaving Neverland, but have a lot to do with the nature of the news media, that's for sure. And one of them is that Nora O'Donnell has been now named as the new uh, anchor for the CBS Evening News. This, at one point, of course, was the the premier position in all of news. Walter Cronkite held this position, Dan Rather. Now no one seems to really care, but Nora O'Donnell is going to be the new uh, anchor on the evening news. Now, why is this relevant? Well, uh, it's it's particularly interesting that we spoke with David Schuster on the Individual One podcast this week because 10 years ago I had a couple of battles with, with David Schuster on MSNBC. Well, um, I also had battles with Nora O'Donnell 10 years ago on MSNBC. You can YouTube uh, those. There were a couple different battles uh, with her, but one in particular – I tweeted the video of uh, this week because I, I found it very fascinating. One, that someone who was so uh, overtly partisan, and I do believe that Nora O'Donnell is a liberal partisan, could become the anchor on the CBS Evening News. But also I found it particularly interesting, and this is definitely uh, makes me unique. I doubt there's ever been a an anchor on the CBS Evening News <laughs> or any other major anchor of, of a network news program that has had a person not once but twice live on the air tell them to their face that they should be fired for something that they said on the air. Now, this occurred back in 2009, and this was when I was... Uh, promoting my movie, Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected and Palin Was Targeted. And it featured an exclusive interview with Sarah Palin, really the most extensive and only interview she ever did after the 2008 election about the media coverage of that campaign, which I still to this day believe was exceedingly unfair. And uh, and here the backdrop of this interview, which we're going to play the clip from, is important for a number of reasons. Uh, number one is that this interview with Nora O'Donnell, where I tell her twice that she should have been fired, was scheduled at the last moment. It was the same day that I went on the Today Show to do an interview with the, in the 7.30 featured slot live with Matt Lauer. Now, back in the day, back in 2009, this was a really big deal for a unknown conservative, I'm not a celebrity, to be live on the air at 7.30, which is their prime interview time, with Matt Lauer, by the way, it happened to be the day after, the morning after the Academy Awards, which they didn't even realize when they scheduled us, and they tried to they tried to bump me to the next day, and that was a whole big controversy, uh, and we held firm because we had a written agreement, and so, so that interview was a huge deal, especially for me, and that interview did not go as I had hoped. Uh, largely because I got screwed by the people that were working on the movie because they were a bunch of morons. 
uh, and they and turned out to be corrupt, and they all turned out to be big Trump fans, which didn't surprise me at all because they were they were they were corrupt to the core. But I had no leverage, so before we had done the Palin interview, and I I had uh, signed this deal to do the movie with this group called Right Real, which just were a bunch of freaking frauds, had no idea what they were doing. And after the Palin interview exploded, the movie was way way bigger than they ever anticipated. And I had gone on the View, and you know I battled that with Barbara Walters, and this thing was a a big deal and a big controversy well unfortunately we had given we we crashed this movie i mean the greatest accomplishment of my life was doing the sarah palin interview on january 5th of 2009 and having the movie out on dvd ready to be on the today show by the end of february of the same year that so so basically we did the movie in five weeks and in crashing to do this movie, which was insane, and by the way, my grandfather died during the same time period. I had to go back to Philadelphia for the funeral. I mean, this this was an insane period of my life. I also went to New York to do The View. I'm doing all sorts of cable news interviews. Uh, once the interview was originally, uh, part of it was released on YouTube. Anyway, the point of all this is we give the DVD to uh, Matt Lauer and his people, and... I realized the night before the interview, the DVD doesn't work. There's a problem with the DVD. Now, these are just our test DVDs, but I, I'm already thinking, oh, shit. If I get into a big battle with Matt Lauer, all he's going to have to do is say, well, I don't know. I couldn't watch the movie because your DVD didn't even work. And I'm a nobody. Uh, and, you know, that's going to destroy me right off the bat. I, I've got no leg to stand on. So I, whether it was overthinking it or whether it was smart or whatever i adjust my strategy uh with regard to how to handle matt lauer i'm no i'm no longer going to go in for the mike tyson first round knockout i'm going to try to jab and hit and move and try to do it that way now part of the plan here was that i was going to uh create a, a stir with matt lauer and that andrew breitbart the now deceased andrew breitbart was going to put that on the drudge report because uh, the Drudge Report had done a lot of what we were doing on the documentary, and that that was then going to create a firestorm in the right-wing media, and that this would be the way that the, the movie got kicked off, and hopefully we'd sell a lot of DVDs, and that was the whole big plan. So, unfortunately, I didn't know this at the time, but Andrew Breitbart was in a fight with Matt Drudge, and Drudge was actually threatening to cut Andrew out of the website and so Andrew was exceedingly uh, feeling very vulnerable about his place on the Drudge Report and I also think in retrospect Andrew was feeling uh, very vulnerable about my place in the conservative media because I think he was very concerned that I was getting too much media coverage as a fellow white male conservative in Los Angeles who's anti-media that was cutting into his brand and his his corner of the universe at that time so bottom line is i do the lauer interview and it's a decent interview it's a good interview but it's not as explosive as i had hoped or anticipated and andrew doesn't put anything up on the drudge report and i'm like oh shit we're, we're screwed here so now i'm trying to figure out some way to create a firestorm and uh i had done morning joe on msnbc that morning right after the today show and I don't even remember exactly how this happened, but I specifically requested while I was at MSNBC that Nora O'Donnell interview me. 
And the reason why I requested her is because I knew that she had wrongly, during the 2008 campaign, claimed that Sarah Palin had called Barack Obama a terrorist. That's not what she said. She, she was referring to people that uh, he was hanging out with as terrorists, people like Bill Ayers. Big difference between hanging out with terrorists and calling someone a terrorist. And to my knowledge, she had never corrected this. Now, Nora O'Donnell went to Georgetown, like I did, and she and I had battled it out previously when the interview first came out, and I actually think she must have thought I liked her or something. I don't know. So she was complimented by the idea that I had specifically requested that she do this interview, when in fact... This interview was my desperate attempt as a setup to create a firestorm because <laughs> I knew I was going to tell her she should be fired. And, I, and when, she, when I do it the first time, she doesn't react, and I do it the second time, uh, and she basically decides to end the interview very quickly thereafter. So here is the just over four minutes as it aired on MSNBC in uh, February of 2009, just over 10 years ago. Uh, Now, 10 years before, Nora O'Donnell becomes the anchor of the CBS Evening News. It starts with a clip from my interview with Sarah Palin, just so you understand what you're hearing here from 2009. We were quite insulated and isolated from what was going on in in the world of the media. We would catch snippets here and there, either on the campaign bus or looking at a headline in a newspaper as we walked by and 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 we would see some coverage that way but we were quite isolated really uh, from what was being said about our candidacy uh, in 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 the media that was alaska governor sarah palin speaking out in a new documentary called media malpractice it examines claims palin was mistreated by the mainstream media on the campaign trail while barack obama was given special treatment John Ziegler is the filmmaker behind this documentary and joins us now. John, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Nora, and thank you so much for your setup piece on the Today Show this morning, which will be a great fodder for my uh, next film, Media Malpractice 2, the sequel. (laughs) Very well, John. Well, let me ask you, you call the treatment of Sarah Palin and her family a, quote, media assassination, one of the greatest public injustices of our time. is that a little strong? Are you and her a little thin-skinned? Well, I think you'd have to watch the documentary to find out, uh, because I think the proof uh, shows exactly what I'm saying is true. The evidence is overwhelming. It's continuing today. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Nora, you incorrectly stated on the air that Sarah Palin called Barack Obama a terrorist during the campaign, and instead of getting fired, you would get picked to do the setup piece for the exclusive interview on the Today Show. So I think that shows the nature of the news media and the sign of our times. Let me ask you, um, in your documentary, you cite examples of media bias by um, Saturday Night Live, but that's media bias. Aren't those comedians? Well, How's first, media bias. Well, first of all, again, I'd urge people to watch the documentary, which you can get at HowObamaGotElected.com, and we'll be showing screenings across the country as well. But and so the context of those SNL clips is incredibly important. Poll after poll shows that more people get their news from comedy shows because the line between entertainment and news, as this network has shown time and time again, has virtually evaporated. There is no necessarily credibility in an alleged news organization like the former MSNBC used to be a news organization. 
Now it's an advocacy organization, and SNL is actually thought to be a news organization. There are many episodes, in fact, one involving Joe Biden's international test comments, in which you got more credible information about what Joe Biden said from SNL than you did from NBC Nightly News. So the lines really have evaporated, and I think it's very much appropriate to include those in a documentary about the media. John, you're a man who watches words very carefully. That's part of your business. You just said, and I quote, SNL is thought to be a news agency. Do you want to stand by that? Uh, if you listen to what I said, Nora, and again, just to remind you, Sarah Palin never did say that Barack Obama was a terrorist, so we're worried about words. But the reality is that people are stupid and a lot of people do think that bill maher or john stewart or the colbert report or snl actually is real news information and frankly it's becoming more and more difficult to argue with those people because news is completely disintegrated in this day and age and this network is a prime example of that i guess that's the difference between us john i don't think that they think it's news i think people are smart enough actually that you don't think that tina fey had a major impact on that past in this past election oh, i think she had an impact but i think people you, understand you think? that it's a parody i think really oh yeah i don't well, but stupid, here's the, here's the difference, though. Uh, here's the difference, though, Nora. Tina Fey, yeah. Tina Fey clips were used by news organizations constantly. Andrea Mitchell made, made a, a habit out of using SNL clips in her nightly news stories as if they were news. So talk to Andrea Mitchell about whether or not SNL is, in fact, a news source or not. Some of them were gratuitous and had absolutely nothing to do with the subject matter and were simply yeah. just used as shots at Sarah Palin or John McCain. The same was not done against Joe Biden and certainly not against Barack Obama. We've seen what happened in the New York Post when you even come close to joking about anything that has anything remotely to do with Democrats. Oh, well, the reality are, is there's a total are. double standard and my documentary proves it. You can find out more about it at HowObamaGotElected.com. We are equal opportunity when it comes to Democrats or Republicans. We play the SNL clips that make fun of them here on Really? I would like to see a study on John that. In fact, <laughs> Good to see you, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Dora. And that wraps up this hour on MSNBC for Tamron Hall. Now, there's several interesting things about that. Uh, one, first of all, when you watch the video, I am way younger than I am now. That's for sure. Wow. The last 10 years have really taken a toll. I don't know whether it's marriage two kids. I think I blame most of it on Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky. Uh, but uh, the reality is I am a much, much younger man. Uh, num- number two in my view, Nor O'Donnell cuts that off way quicker than was anticipated or uh, was scheduled. It was about a four-minute interview. Now, why I find this fascinating is that in 2009, a four-minute interview was not a long interview on cable news, especially when you're talking to a guy who had just been on the premier NBC show that morning, interviewed at 7.30 in the morning, the prime slot, with Matt Lauer. I was under the impression that we were going to do a much longer interview than that. But what I found fascinating was when I tweeted out the interview and I made a comment along the lines of she had cut it off early, which probably is not accurate technically. I mean, you know, it's not like she cut my mic off and says we have to go now. But the interview was much shorter than was scheduled for, anticipated, and much shorter than in 2009, you would have expected based upon uh, the nature of the subject. Sarah Palin was a ratings winner. And the fact that, you know, I, I had had some cachet that day because I was the Today Show's main guest. And back then, that was a big stinking deal. So I tweet it and I make this comment about her cutting off the interview quickly. 
And Jake Tapper of CNN direct messages me on Twitter saying, I saw the video. I don't think she cut off the interview quickly. And I, I said, Jake, <laughs> I find this fascinating because what I think is happening here is you're forgetting how much cable news has changed in 10 years. That's how much shorter our attention spans are. Here, Jake, who does these things every day, to him, four minutes is a long time. He's forgetting that 10 years ago, four minutes was not a long time. That we actually did 10, 12-minute, two-segment, sometimes longer interviews, especially on substantive subjects like this. And so I found that fascinating that Jake Tapper, one of the few cable news guys I still respect, he looked at this and goes, oh, that seems like a uh, you know pretty long time for there to be an interview. <laughs> well, no, that's how much things have changed in 10 years. And this gets back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump understands the nature of the short attention span because he's got one of the shortest attention spans there is. And the short attention span of the news media is one of the biggest favors they can do for Donald Trump. He feeds off of this. Now, in a larger picture with regard to what happened here, this whole Sarah Palin thing, and I I will go to my death believing that I was right about the coverage of Sarah Palin in 2008. All right. I was right about that. She turned out to be a complete fraud. And I understand why people look at her now in a way that's consistent with that initial coverage. But that's because she changed. That was not the original Sarah Palin. She turned into what the media made her because she wanted to stay famous and get rich. I've, I've made the analogy that she's kind of like the good girl who goes to the big city. It doesn't work out real well, and she turns to prostitution. And she's not very good at it because that's not who she is. That's, in a nutshell, what happened with Sarah Palin. But one of the things that makes me very, very, very different, if not unique, when it comes to commentators is my experiences and how I have learned and evolved from them and what I've learned about the nature of this business. And it is a business because I have made the same mistakes that I now see in others from people who don't understand that they've made mistakes. And what I mean by that is this with regard to Trump, so many people who I never even thought would be capable of selling out to Trump have done so for reasons that I understand because I almost did the same thing. And the sellout comes in two basic fashions. Number one, you want to be loved by the establishment, whether that's establishment on the right or the left or the mainstream, because it's very lucrative and it's very gratifying to your ego. All right. You are, and also, you are prone to actually believing the bullshit you're selling because it's so good for you personally, and you have so many people telling you that you're right. All right? Now, let me take this out of the theoretical into the practical. The only time in my entire life I have gone on television or radio or written a column that I regret because it did not reflect what I really believed at the time was when Sarah Palin resigns later in 2009, something I had predicted that she might do because I'd interview her, interviewed her on the radio and asked her about this and had been to Alaska and, uh, to screen the film and nothing made any sense. So when she resigned, I was not surprised. But when she resigned, I was stuck with my family in Yosemite National Park, my soon-to-be in-laws in Yosemite National Park, the worst place you could possibly be when a major news story breaks. 
And uh, the O'Reilly Factor asked me to come on and be their, their first guest the next, um, I guess it was Monday, the next day that they did a show, because she this was over 4th of July weekend when she resigns. So I leave the vacation. I didn't really mind that because I didn't like Yosemite at the time, and I wasn't married yet, so I didn't feel like I was obligated to stay <laughs> with the in-laws. But, I mean, Yosemite's awesome and all. But I, 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 I wasn't that sad to be leaving. So I drive all the way home to do the O'Reilly Factor. And I go on and I do a full-throated defense of Sarah Palin. Full-on, this was a, uh, uh, an act of principle that she was forced into this from democratic attacks and that this doesn't say anything about who she is. And I didn't really believe... Now, maybe I was convincing myself it was true because it was in my self-interest for that to be true. I also saw the financial situation where I got this movie I'm still selling and now she's resigned and then if you know she's irrelevant then the movie you know has no more shelf life and uh, that's bad for me personally. So I convinced myself I didn't do this consciously. I, subconsciously, I convinced myself that the principled stand was what was really happening here. When I look back on that appearance on the O'Reilly Factor, which you, I think is still on YouTube somewhere, I, I cringe because I'm like, wait a minute, that's bullshit, Ziggler. You, you have that is total bullshit. That's not what happened here. You knew it at the time. You knew she was selling out to to stay famous and get rich because she was sequestered up there in Alaska and she in, was not longer interested in being governor of Alaska. She could benefit from her celebrity, her enormous celebrity, and she could be part of the, the continental United States and do speaking engagements, do television, write books, and do all sorts of things that she could not do as governor. Now, that experience, which I learned from, taught me how intoxicating this is, how easy it is to fall prey to this, which is what, ha- what has happened with a lot of seemingly good people and Trump. I cannot describe to you how uh, enticing it is to be embraced by the establishment. This, I even felt this in the interview with Matt Lauer. You know these people hate you. You know they're never going to give you the time of day after this is over. You know that consciously. But it is so intoxicating to be in accepted within this realm. I mean, it's lucrative. I mean, you're saying staying at the best hotels and you're flying first class across the country. Not just first class, but I mean, at that day and age, you know, you're really going first class. Everything but a, you know, almost a private jet. I mean, it is... It is you're being treated like you're you matter like you're somebody and it goes to your head even someone like me who doesn't give a shit about this stuff so if it goes to my head i can imagine how much it can go to the head of lesser people who have sold out for donald trump and i vowed that after the whole sarah palin experience this was never going to happen to me again and the reason why it hasn't happened to me again is because there are elements of my life that are very different than the average commentator I'm very different for for a lot of reasons. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But there's nobody else who's had my level of experience, who's dealt with all these people, who knows the way the business works, who knows what frauds all these people are, and who doesn't give a shit about being embraced or liked or loved by anybody. I don't like human beings as a rule. So therefore, their love means nothing to me. Their admiration means nothing to me. Having fans means almost nothing to me other than having enough people to, you know, 
support my stuff that I can survive. And as far as survival is concerned, I don't care about money, largely because I've saved a lot of it, largely because I come from a, uh, a family of means. Not I'm not super rich, but I don't think I'm going to go hungry at any time. And so even though I'm married with kids, my value system is such that I don't want to be rich, don't care about being rich. I lived in a state where basically they punish you if you try to be rich. So why bother? So I, I got enough money to live on. I, money is not a value to me. Fame is not a value. I'm married now. The only value to fame is getting laid by women who would never look at you otherwise if you weren't famous. I'm married. That's of no value to me anymore. So I don't care about being famous. I don't care about being admired by most, the vast majority of people because I don't like people. And I don't care about money. That frees me up to tell the truth. And that's what you're going to get on this podcast. And you always get on this podcast and on the Individual One podcast, which is the truth that no one else will tell you. And so that's what makes me, in a nutshell, different. And that's why that interview with Nora O'Donnell, who's now somehow the anchor of the CBS Evening News, is of some significance. I also found it significant in light of the Ben Shapiro controversy. Ben Shapiro, who is a guy who I agree with on a lot of things, he and I have some some things in, in common, uh, he's been all over the internet and Twitter the last uh, couple of days because of an, an interview that he did that went very wrong with the BBC. He did an adversarial interview with the BBC and he cut it off. I mean, it was from his perspective, it was somewhat pathetic. He said, I'm, I'm popular. No one knows who you are. And uh, I don't want to do an interview with someone like you. And he gets up and leaves. And, you know, the left of course is, is, torpedoing him because he comes off as a special snowflake when his whole brand is i'll debate anyone anytime any place let me come to your your uh, academic institution and he's upset about all the protests that the left have given him exactly what he wants basically by creating publicity and and more power to him for being able to manipulate that for his for his own gain but the part about ben that bothers me is that i believe that ben has created this contrived good trump bad trump thing so that that he can survive economically or prosper economically in this very strange time period where you've got to kiss up to Trump. Well, for those who think it's legitimate and him just being objective and it's not based upon some sort of strategy, some sort of business strategy, ask yourself this. How is it that it's just this amazing coincidence that when it comes to Ben Shapiro, about 20 to 30 percent of the things Trump does or says are bad and about 70 to 80 percent of the things that Trump does are good and then that percentage never changes how is that? How is it? This is amazing coincidence that that it just happens to be the exact percentage that a conservative audience would embrace or accept from a conservative commentator. Oh, that makes me feel good about myself because I'm not a cult member. So I, I, I'll criticize Trump 20 to 30 percent of the time. But I'm also going to feel good about my Trump support because I'm being told he's good 70 to 80 percent of the time. How does that happen? Is it just this amazing coincidence or more likely is it strategic? I would suggest to you it's strategic and contrived, and that's what Ben Shapiro is about. But what's interesting about that interview, and different from the interview that I did with Nora O'Donnell, is the adversarial interview is now dead. The adversarial interview, we talk about this with David Schuster on the Individual One podcast this week, no longer exists. It does not exist because everyone can just go to their own 
favorite media outlet and get a softball-friendly interview, including Donald Trump, who hasn't done an adversarial television sit-down interview since October of last year when he was interviewed by Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes. And that's a problem. That's a big problem when you only face friendly questioning. Uh, and and Ben Shapiro stepped right into it. To his to his credit, he acknowledged he stepped into it. I couldn't believe it. Shapiro acknowledged that he was uh, defeated and that he was wrong and he was unprepared. So good for him on that. We're going to end this edition of the World Court and Zig podcast with an update on something that we talked about a couple of months ago. And I don't know whether or not I, I'm evaluating this accurately. And I, I hesitate to even go into all the details of this, but I found this particularly funny, and it's a good way to end the show. A couple months ago, I told you the the full story of this bizarre feud I've had with this TV producer named Adam Goldberg. Adam Goldberg is the producer of the TV show The Goldbergs on ABC. The Goldbergs on ABC is about the 80s in suburban Philadelphia. Well, I grew up in the 80s in suburban Philadelphia. So because of that, the story is very uh, enticing to me. It's a lot about my childhood, especially about the parts about Philadelphia sports. And over the years, I've had this Twitter, strange Twitter battle with Adam Goldberg, a show. I don't watch any sitcoms on a regular basis. I watch the Goldbergs because I'm curious if there's going to be anything from the 80s that I can relate to, mostly from the sports perspective. And by and large, a lot of the stuff is very authentic and very true to form. And we've had this strange Twitter battle because uh, some of the stuff that that the Goldbergs has been about has not been accurate. Not big stuff, but little things that I know are not true. And I have tweeted my concern about these things in what I thought was a respectful and professional manner. And Goldberg over the years has gone nuts on me. Like he's got an obsession with me. It's, it's strange. And now the funniest part is when it happened again a few months ago over this Mike Schmidt retirement game, which never occurred, Mike Schmidt, baseball legend for the Philadelphia Phillies, I'm 100% right on this. He, he, for days, kept tweeting about me and my obsession with him to the point where I literally had to block him on Twitter, which pretty much proves who's not obsessed with who. When I'm blocking you, that means I'm not obsessed with you. You're the one obsessed with me. So I block him on Twitter, and I think, finally, I'm done with this. I never have to, I'm still going to watch the show until it's over. Hopefully, it'll be over soon. I want there to be an emotional ending. To, I've put six or seven years into this show. I want the show to finally end on a high note but it's way too late now because they've sold out and they've contrived the characters to somehow keep the show going. Anyway, I'm watching the season finale this week and lo and behold, the last statement, this is by the actor who does the voiceover who's pretending to be Adam Goldberg. So he's the voice of Adam Goldberg, the guy I've had this Twitter feud with for years. This is the last thing said on the last episode of the season listen to what the character of adam goldberg says which is completely out of context there's nothing here that relates to the episode or anything it's just out of the blue adam goldberg's character says this to end the show of course when i look back i don't always get the details right but there's one thing i do know it was 1980 something and it was perfect When I'm watching this, I'm like, I said, turn to my wife. Did he just say that to me? Was that just me him saying that too? I don't always get the details right. Because it certainly sounds like he's talking to me about this. And he's actually referred to previously on Twitter, him actually uh, contriving, those are my words, not his, contriving plot points 
essentially for my benefit. I'm like, this is nuts. This is completely crazy. And I don't know, you know, the production schedule, but it was one line and a voiceover at the very, very, very end of the last episode of the season. It certainly easily could have been put in there in the two months since we had our last Twitter battle, but it made no sense in the context of the show. So here he is. admitting and kind of like saying, look, you morons out there who who care about details. I might not get all the details right, but I do know that it was the 1980s and it was awesome. Well, apparently there's going to be another season of the Goldbergs. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to continue to still watch, but I found that to be particularly fascinating and uh, worthy of mention since I had uh, gone into this in great detail a couple of months ago on the podcast. That'll do it for this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. As always, I ask only two things of you. Please make sure that you share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps when you and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, one, two, one, two.